Welcome to the Renegade Yogi Podcast Experience. Join myself, Sorananda, and this episode's guest as we explore yoga in the modern world. Prepare yourself as we will experience yoga like never before. podcast experience. My name is Zoranunda. Thank you again for tuning in and participating in this conversation. Today I am doing a solo podcast where I'm particularly talking about why I'm a yogi. So before I jump into that, uh, because that's a whole world to explore, the last several months of my life have been a wonderful combination of beauty and um, adversity. And it's really been teaching me how to set boundaries when it comes to what I want in my life and some of the other people that are present in my life and, you know, inevitably aren't present in my life because of certain circumstances. But I was just really thinking about what it takes to move forward when you are at a loss of a relationship or um, when it comes to your job or whatever circumstance is that is presented in your life that really poses the biggest challenge that you're facing and the wisdom that has come out of all this is how you take care of yourself how you take care of your health how you add something that's going to allow you to introduce movement and introduce increasing physical strength is really going to pave the way for more transformations that are going to take place down the road. So this is how this is going to get into why I'm a yogi, because when I was a kid, I was really, really active. I played all kinds of sports. Um, Unfortunately, you know, my family and my parents weren't really financially set enough to put me into organized sports in a way where you know, like say I was on a hockey team and was able to go into minor leagues and make my way uh, through the ranks like that. I didn't have that. I had community soccer, which was affordable to my parents, but I was active just with my friends. We would play hockey in the streets. We'd play um, soccer in the fields around our house. And that's what kept me really active all throughout my childhood basically from the time I was like three or four years old all the way up until I was a teen. But that changed when I 
broke my arm snowboarding. And that's what really catapulted me into a pretty deep depression without really even knowing it because ever since I was a kid, I always had these wild aspirations. You know, I remember wanting to become a pro athlete. I wanted to become a pro soccer player. Um, And then once I started skateboarding and snowboarding, I wanted to become a pro skateboarder and then a pro snowboarder. And when I was 16, I broke my arm snowboarding and the synchronicity is so wild that it happened on the last day of ski club at the very end of the night on the last run of my night and I was fairly good at snowboarding I grew up skateboarding so by the time I was like 10 years old to you know 16 when I broke my arm those six years I was able to do so much skateboarding like kick flip and heel flip down six uh six sets of stairs and um you know all sorts of stuff and then so when I went into snowboarding I advanced really quickly and so I had it in my mind that I wanted to become an amateur and so the whole year of when I was in grade 11 that whole season, I went snowboarding every single day, and I had a small group of friends where we went pretty much every day together. Um, I knew, um, I know I went every day, and um, there's another friend named Lucas where we definitely went every day, and then the other friends would kind of come here and there. But we were just snowboarding in the park every day, doing the tabletops, doing all the crazy rails, and I was really working myself up to the point where. I can go from the kind of smaller part of the park into the bigger part of the park. And I just remember on the last night of ski club that I was a part of the last run. So I'm at the top of the hill. I'm looking at this, like, you know, the smaller table, it's like, you know, 15, 20 feet, maybe even a little bit less. Maybe it's like a 10 foot table or 15 foot table. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to do a frontside 180. I haven't done that really much, and so I'm just going to do that. And as I'm approaching the table, so I'm already booking it down the hill, getting to the table, and I suddenly just switch the trick. I suddenly decide that I'm going to do a backside 360 because that was like my comfort in, in um, going off the table. I was really good at it, but because I switched it, it fucked me up and I launched off the table. I totally bailed in the air. And as I was rotating around, I leaned back too much and I fell right onto my back and I didn't realize that I stuck my arm out and I totally broke my arm right in half. I broke both bones. Um, there was a compound fracture. So one of the bones split in half and half of it poked out right out of my wrist And I didn't realize at the time how severe the break was. So I immediately got up, couldn't move my arm. I was in so much shock and so much adrenaline was pumping that I couldn't feel any pain. And my friends rushed over to me like, holy shit, man, like what happened? Like you, you totally like you broke something. Like we watched you fall on your arm. And I just looked at it and I thought to him like, ah, I probably broke my wrist. I'm just going to go down and I was going to like snowboard down the hill. And my friends were like, no, 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 no. Like you need to, (laughs) you need help. So I, I went to the T bar 
um, attendee and got me a sled and took me down. Um, so I found out after I got to the hospital that they showed me x-rays and they're like, yeah, you broke both bones. You have to like go into surgery. And, um, so after that moment, I just completely gave up on snowboarding. I was like, I, I don't want to hurt myself. Like what's next. Right. If I say, if I go into it next year, am I going to break a leg? Am I going to break my back? Am I going to break my neck? Am I, you know, am I going to break my arm again? And I just, I didn't want to take that risk. And I just realized that there were these activities that I was doing throughout my life, throughout my childhood of playing soccer and playing sports that I always hurt myself either, you know, it was hurting my shoulders, hurting my ankle, especially in skateboarding, just like bailing all the time. And, and I just kind of vowed to myself, well, I don't want to hurt myself anymore. Um, but I just didn't realize how much this affected my state of mind. And between hitting a massive growth spurt between grades 11 and 12 going from like five foot 10 to six foot two and just being gaunt and skinny to breaking my arm and just getting super addicted to video games, particularly Halo two and call of duty um, that it just led to this point in my life where I finally looked at myself in the mirror and I just saw the condition my body was in super skinny, borderline or anorexic, um, you know, having some kind of weird eating disorder, but you like, you wouldn't really classify these things, you know, like I didn't go to a doctor. I didn't get any help. I, I didn't feel like I was fucked up. Right. Because I was still able to hang out with friends. I was still, still able to go out. But the thing is, is I was really, um, definitely addicted to things. You know, I was smoking weed every day. I was going out and drinking every weekend and I would just get like super drunk and like messy and, you know, something had to give. And, and luckily for me, what I gave into was discovering spirituality and discovering esoteric material and discovering yoga. And it all came about first through discovering meditation like John Valo Melchizedek and his like flower of life meditation and the 17 breaths of activating your Merkaba. And even though, you know, after high school living on my own with my brother, um, even though I was getting into this material, I was, I just knew that it was, it wasn't enough. I knew that, you know, what I was learning on the internet at that time, which would be like the golden age of the internet where it's like pre-social media. Basically, it's just websites and you use Google to find websites. You know, YouTube was just like just beginning. You know, this was like 2006, 2007. And, um, you know, same with Facebook is super basic, you know, it's not like how it is now at all. And there was just so much that you could find. And, and it was just a treasure, treasure trove of so much information 
that just really started to unveil what spirituality is. But like I said, it wasn't enough. Um, where it's where it lacked was a type of authenticity of actual masters who can provide information for me that can lead me deeper um, onto my path of discovering who I am through yoga. And so this is what really leads into why I'm a yogi and how it's actually been prevalent in my life all throughout my life without me knowing it until I started going to my first yoga classes where we started to explore postures that I was doing when I was a kid, you know, like doing full wheel, doing headstand, doing shoulder stand, doing plow pose, doing forward folds. I, it started to dawn on me that how I was playing when I was a kid is what we're doing in yoga. And it was just so baffling to me, but then it also, um, was enlightening because then I started to ask myself, okay, have I been a yogi all my life just without knowing it? And that's why it's prevalent now. That's why it's coming up. It's, it seems like I'm introducing this as a new thing, but really it's been there the whole time. And what does that mean? And so that was really important for me to, to discover and to contemplate because then it started to um, answer these questions of why I was having and have just regular phenomenal experiences because all throughout my childhood, I would see wild shit. You know, I would see um, beings and entities and I would have like crazy dreams of just things visiting me and it's it started to really make sense when i was when i got into yoga that um we're born with a a kind of karma and and i'm i'm going to talk about karma as we go and what karma really is but it started to really show me that in my life in particular, all of these phenomenal experiences are just due to how I am naturally. And, and really, that's like the basis, the first step of why I'm a yogi is because I've been a yogi all my life. It's not something that really that I just like, okay, I'm going to be a yogi now. And it starts, right? That moment of me deciding that, okay, I'm into yoga um, and I'm a yoga practitioner. That was just the beginning of the awareness around it. And what really catapulted me into becoming a yogi was my first teacher training. Because the word yogi is a title, right? Um, and so I didn't officially get that title as being a yogi until 
I did my first teacher training in 2012 with Prana Yoga Studio, where I did the 200-hour uh, yoga teacher training through Akunda Yoga, who or which was developed by Yogarishi Vishvaketu, who is my teacher and has been my teacher for almost 10 years now. Um, so I just, I'm trying to, <laughs> uh, be concise with this and, and, uh, it's, this is all coming off the top of my head. So I'm, I'm just doing my best to, um, uh, be suc succinct in the chronological order of all this. Uh, so, um, just bear with me here. So I'm a yogi first and foremost, because it's been prevalent all my life like I just said. So from me spontaneously doing yoga practices or like yoga postures when I was a kid and also a little breathing technique. So I remember when I was like maybe eight, seven, eight or nine years old, I would lay on my stomach at night and I would breathe as deep as I can and fill my lungs as strong and as hard as I can. And then I would exhale and then I would just melt into my bed and I would feel myself just like completely softening and completely melting into my bed. And I would do that over and over and over again. And I remember precisely what would happen that suddenly the thoughts and the dialogue in my head would start to grow louder and louder and I would suddenly have this like really clear um, continuous stream of thought and not only that I would take a step back and that stream of thought would just be happening and I wouldn't feel like I'm controlling it I wouldn't think that like oh I'm making this thought process happen it's just going and to the point where suddenly the space around the thoughts and the space within or the, the thoughts that are within that space would start to expand. And I'd feel myself grow with that expansion to the point where suddenly I feel myself out of my body and my back is touching the ceiling. And the moment I would realize that this has happened, that I'm suddenly out of my body and suddenly I'm expanded as the, si as the size of my room, and I'm about to like break through the ceiling and like launch into space, I would, I would pass out and I would just wake up the next morning and I'd feel so good. And I'd remember what happened and I'd be like, wow, that was really cool. And then when I fast forward, you know, eight, nine, 10 years and more, suddenly now, I'm being introduced to really specific breathing techniques from this modality called yoga that is showing me, hey, what you were doing in the past, what you were doing as a kid is actually a structured thing that you can put all these things together and do it all at once where instead of just randomly while you're playing with your friends and you go, oh, check this out, I can stand on my head or check this out, I can do a wheel by putting my feet on the ground and my hands and doing a backbend, right? That now there's this whole structure to why you're doing it. And then it just clicked in my head, right? Like, oh, okay, this all makes sense. I was doing this when I was a kid and now it's showing up as a bundled like practice. So 
I'm going to do it and I'm going to I'm going to really focus in on dedicating myself to see what would happen. And what happened is this whole chain of events that led me all over the world that it completely opened up this process within me or this um, a, a ability to create synchronous uh, synchronicities and to create manifestations where I have a direct purpose of traveling the world for yoga. And then suddenly everything becomes available for me to do it. So if it's um, the friends that I have around me, the yoga community that's existing in, in Edmonton where I'm from, um, to the jobs that I get, to get the financing, to um, the, the, the schools that exist around the world for me to go to, that I just opened myself. It's like I opened a book to a page and it says the page was like chapter one, yoga. And then everything else after that was just blank. And it was up to me to fill the pages with yoga in that book and that's just precisely what i did and so then now getting to 2012 my first yoga teacher training where that year i also went to thailand for two months to study at another yoga school um, called agama yoga and that is what really prepared me for my teacher training and that really propelled me into learning so much more about the chakras and the koshas and the pranavayus. So if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that I have the chakra series. Um, next up after this video, I'm going to start going into the koshas. And then after that, the pranavayus, which I think um, are actually more important than the chakras. There's this like obsession on the chakras from the spiritual community, which is kind of annoying because then when I talk to some of these people about the koshas and the pranavayus, they have no idea what I'm talking about. So it just tells me that what most people know about the chakras is actually the surface, but they make it seem like they are just so well-versed about all of the spiritual information when like that's only a sliver of what yoga is. And there's so much more, like there's even more that I don't even know about. And, you know, and from what I know, even for myself, I know I can go deeper into, um, and that's the whole point of this. Right. But, at that uh, yoga school in Thailand, in Copenhagen, um, I had a wonderful opportunity to spend two months there and really dive into all the material that they provide within the first two months because they have this whole like 28-month program of doing 14 levels of Hatha yoga and 14 levels of Kundalini yoga. And just the way that my life was, there was no way that I was able to stay um, for that because I wasn't, I, I didn't travel in a way where I was escaping, where 
I knew I was coming back. So I had a timeline. So I was like, yeah, I can only stay for two months and come back. Cause I have my whole life here in Edmonton. I have a construction business and you know, I'm, I left right at the beginning of the season, um, or more so in the middle of the season. So I needed to come back to continue to work. But, um, those two months really helped me understand a more in-depth look at the chakras because ah, 2012, how old was I? Um, yeah, I was like 24 years old. So I, I was only really five years into reading about the chakras from the internet and I didn't really get far, you know, I'd really didn't get that much information from the internet. It was all the same. It's all that, oh, it's, related to the rainbow and the chakras are here in the body and um, they do this and it it wasn't really in depth. So I um, was fortunate enough to find a couple people here in Edmonton in the summer of 2011 who were practitioners of Agama Yoga and they're the ones who really motivated me to go to Thailand and to learn more about it. So um, it was there again, where I really was able to go deep into each chakra and not just the information, because that's the thing that the internet does is that it provides all this information, but it doesn't really provide you with the actual tools and the depth to go into each chakra and to actually meditate in there and to really expand in what the chakras will do for you. So I had this opportunity to go to a yoga school where they actually do that. They not only provide information, but they do meditations and they do um, actual full-on work within each chakra. But what I want to be clear before I continue on is I do not recommend Agama Yoga, especially not right now. Um, I went there without knowing the full extent of what I was getting into. And I had no idea that it was slowly turning into um, just a womanizing cult, which is so sad. It's really unfortunate because when I went there, it was such a beautiful place. And the a lot of the advanced teachers were just really beautiful people. But that all fell apart three years after I, I went there, so around 2015, um, beginning of 2016, a lot of the teachers left, um, and who remained were just the deluded, um, you know, kind of brainwashed people who couldn't let go of the failure of that school and the, um, the abuse that was going on from the from the head organizer or like the creator of the school. So um, my experience there was really, really narrowed in to just the yoga. Um, I was lucky enough to avoid all the controversy of it being a Tantra school. Um, and I was able to just really focus in on, on why I was there and to the, do just the yoga practice, which is really, um, which was really great. So coming out of that experience and then going into a teacher training and, and two months later, I was able to meet 
in comparison to the the swami or the or the founder of agama yoga i was able to meet a very legitimate himalayan yoga master named yogarishi vishvaketu or we call him vishvaji um, he's the founder of akanda yoga and out of pretty much all the yoga teachers that i've come across in 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 the world and the ones that i've researched and the controversies around most of them he is the most legitimate yoga master that i have found um and and i'm sure that there are many 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 others um i don't doubt it this world is huge there's 7.8 billion people so there's you know, obviously going to be very legitimate yoga practitioners and masters, but for one who has created a school and who has facilitated countless yoga teacher trainings and initiated, you know, probably 50,000 people into a Kanda yoga, for someone at that caliber, he's definitely the one who has been the most legitimate and the most powerful that I've met personally in my life, not ones that I've seen on YouTube videos or whatever, but like personally the most powerful yogi that I've met in my life. And this is what really catapulted me into becoming a yogi. Um, And it's because of this experience um, that I had. And I I think I talked about this um, in another podcast that I did I think it was one of the chakra podcasts where um, it was during the 2012 teacher training um, where I had a full-on premonition one morning of him coming to me into my room wearing white robes and you know telling me to come to him in this like beautiful like meadow that was outside my room um, and so if you, if you haven't listened to those podcasts, essentially what happened is that the dorm that I was staying in, um, the door opened out to this meadow, um, basically this, like these like soft rolling Hills with a forest, um, like kind of away, um, maybe like 300 feet away from my door. And I woke up not feeling well, so I decided to go back to sleep instead of going and getting ready for the class. And as I fell asleep, I woke back up, but I woke up into a dream and I didn't know it. And the door was wide open to my dorm. The sun was out and the the sun was like streaming into my room. And as I saw three butterflies fly by, Vishuji was standing at the foot of my bed and he just put out his hand and he said, come with me. And I, you know, made this whole excuse of why I couldn't come and go with him because I was sick and blah, blah, blah. And he just put his hand down and disappeared. And I woke up and it was like the door was closed. There was no sun. It was still six in the morning. And I caught up with him later on in the day. And I asked him about this and I asked him like, hey, I had this experience. Did you come to me? And he just laughed and he was like, no, I just noticed that you were not in class. And I was just wondering if you were okay. And it was in that moment of just just him wondering if I'm okay was enough to project his consciousness into a lucid dream. That's where I knew that he had some power 
and he had some ability in some city that he's utilizing that he's not even really like he's not like consciously doing but it's just happening you know like that's like the full breadth of his his ability because honestly just like go to youtube right now like open up youtube and look up uh yog rishi vishwaketu or akanda yoga and just like look up his videos um and and look up what he can do there's like all these videos of him like doing breath work and and all these things like just watch him and you'll see that like this guy's fucking legit man like so the the funny thing is that a year later i went to a workshop that he was doing at prana yoga studio and at the end of it i said to him hey vishaji you know great thanks for the class and the workshop i'll see you next year and then he just like cocks one eyebrow up and he looks at me he's like I'll see, or I'll see you in your dreams. Like he just knew he like, that was just like to me that he, like he knew that he was um, providing teachings to me. And, and from that point on, I would have regular dreams where he would just teach me things. He would teach me deeper meditations and he would teach me breathing techniques. And, and so that was the signifier, not only the, the training to actually become a teacher, but then the initiation of him coming to me like that. And then all the dreams afterwards was the signifier to me that indeed I'm a yogi because there are these events that are happening that are within my own realm. They're within me. They're, they're not within the external realm per se. There are these events that are taking place that are propelling me further and further on this path of spirituality and this path of yoga that are spontaneous and that I really don't have any control of. It's not like I'm waking up in the morning and I'm going, okay, I'm going to have a dream with my master now. It's just happening. Um, and the most potent one, the most potent dream I've had that resulted in a full-on premonition and a prediction of the future is in 2014 – I, um, how, how can I say this? So in 2014, there was this event that this vegan restaurant was holding, um, called, uh, oh shit. What was it called? Um, uh, I forget what the event was called, but uh, anyways, they were holding like this little mini day festival, which is like day and night festival. And, the week before the festival, I have this full on dream and this, I have these stories that I can take fucking forever telling. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to be concise, but still have like major details. So I have this dream that I walk into this building and it's a big open building, like a, like a gymnasium or something. Um, but it's more of like a conference kind of room that's big it has vaulted ceilings uh one wall is just windows and in and and i walk in and on the right corner there's a group of people sitting um on the ground and vistagy is there and he's meditating and i look to my left and then the big open space there's this big circle of people who are standing and there's a few other people who are 
walking around to each person, smudging them with um, just like a feather and uh, like a shell and and sage or something. And I, I look back to the people sitting on the ground with Vishuji. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like sit and meditate with Vishuji. So I sit down, and as I close my eyes, I immediately feel myself going into a meditative state, and I hear Vishuji internally and in my mind chanting the Gayatri mantra. So he's chanting, Om Bur Bhuvasvaha Tatsavitur Vareniyam Bargo Devasyadimahi Diyoyona Prachodayat. So he's just chanting that over and over. And I, and I like, my eyes are closed in my dream. I hear that coming from him. I see it coming from him to me. And I see a radiance coming off of him. And I just feel myself going into this deeper and deeper and deeper meditation. And it was one of the first times where I actually like meditated in my dreams. And it was just so profound to um, just really be going into the depth of, of my meditation just in the dream being facilitated by my teacher. And this is, this is what I mean by this is why I know I'm a yogi because I'm having these kind of dreams. I'm having these kind of experiences. My master, my teacher is showing up and he's doing this mantra and he's facilitating this depth of meditation that he probably, you know, like it couldn't happen in, in real day-to-day life. You know, like this is the power of this path that you're taken into realms that you think are dreams, but it's not a dream. It's actually a whole other realm of existence that helps facilitate you going into deeper meditations because the density of that realm is not like the physical realm. The physical realm is just too heavy and too dense and too physical, where then you place yourself in a realm where it's lighter and it's not so dense and it's more malleable. And so then these phenomena can happen where you're immediately put into a deeper meditation and it's felt viscerally. It's not just that it's happening and you're watching it. It's now you're fully immersed within it. There's the vibrations are all around you, right? So this is what I'm feeling. And, and so <clears throat> I, I, I'm not going to go too much into, um, you know, the rest of the dream, because that's not really relevant. Um, you know, the it was a dream about this festival that happened uh, the next week. But that was the really most important part was just having my master, having my um, teacher show up and and facilitate a deeper expression of yoga in that sense. And so these are the initiations that are taking place in my life to propel me further and further through the path of yoga. So then not only um, am I encouraged to do a deeper yoga practice or um, a stronger yoga practice and to continue doing a yoga practice, it's initiating the synchronicity of a of a four-year cycle. So what I found is that in 2016, I just had this very strong intuitive urge to go back to Thailand and from doing that initiated going to Rishikesh, India to do my 300 hour yoga teacher training. And it all worked out again, just like in 2012 where, um, you know, I had my two friends who were Agama yoga practitioners and they were going back to the Island. And I say to them, Hey, I'm going to go too. 
and I had no money saved up or anything. But then two weeks later, my dad calls me and he goes, Hey, I have this job working on a hotel. Um, we're going to start in January and boom, that pays everything for me. It pays my rent for the two months. It pays for my trip. It pays for all my bills. Like it was just amazing. And so in, in 2015, I ended up uh, getting to a car accident where, um, wait, was that 2015? I think it was uh, 2014. And after a year of like going to physio, uh, physical therapy and stuff, I ended up, um, uh, no, it was 2013, sorry. Um, I went to physical therapy for two years. I ended up getting paid out like $15,000. And, and then I had like all this money and I'm like, holy shit, I have this opportunity to um, go back to Thailand to spend another two months there, go back to the school and, you know, go and do my 300-hour teacher training. So it seems that your focus on synchronicities is what anchors in your life purpose of whatever you're doing. So for me, it's yoga. So if I continue to focus on yoga and I continue to be excited about the synchronicities, things will come to me and to help facilitate moving further along on that path and actually building momentum and building motivation. Because then once 2016 came and I went to Thailand, I was given this very clear communication that I have to choose between the two teachers because before then, I was kind of considering the Swami Vivekananda Saraswati fellow from uh, Agama Yoga as my teacher and then Vishuji as my teacher. But this time it was like, no, you have to pick one or the other. And here's why. When I went to Thailand the second time, it became very evident of the corruption in that school, particularly because of Narciss, uh, the owner of Agama Yoga or the creator of it. He was ordained quote unquote, um, as a Swami and where he was given the name Swami Vivekananda Saraswati, which is such a bastardization of that name. Swami Vivekananda is, was a very powerful yogi from the 1800s who came to America and actually facilitated the start of opening up yoga to the West. Um, so while I was there, uh, a good friend of mine uh, named Sarah, who was at the school for like, you know, nine years, was very dedicated to it, but only dedicated to practice. Like she didn't buy into all the Tantra shit. Like she was just like very, very pure in her intention of doing the practice and, and very advanced in what she was doing. Um, she basically spilled the beans to me on, on what was happening Um particularly with Narciss and um, the abuse that was happening and his like gross obsession with having sex with like three to five women every day and like different women every day. And that like he totally abandoned his meditation practice and his yoga practice. And all he cared about was just like having this like cohort of women around him. And it just became gross. I could see it. You know, I was just comparing how it was in 2012 to when it, how it was in 2016 and I was just like man this is not at all what I want to be in and so I I before knowing any of that I really only learned about all that like three weeks into being there and so 
I was already enrolled in level three of the Agama program, so I just finished it. And luckily, I was able to leave and not have any repercussions and integrate into a whole other yoga studio and meet a whole other group of people um, and have just a wonderful time on the island. Um, and when I came back, it became very clear how the rest of my, well, how the next year of my life was going to go. Because I was on the verge of um, enrolling back full-time into university because I was at Grant McEwen at the time, Grant McEwen University. And I went from being full-time to part-time, and I was kind of dwindling, dwindling down in classes. And I was like, well, I'm going to go full-time. But the, when I was meditating one morning, this like strong voice came in and was like, no, no, you can't do that. It's either you work with your brother and your dad and your company – um, you focus on yoga or you go to university, you can't do both. And I didn't know what to do because I thought, well, I can go full time in, um, in my classes and then I can pick up work back in the spring. But it just didn't work out that way because we were getting work all throughout the fall and winter and spring. And I would have actually like it would have really hurt the company if I did that. So I just didn't know what to do. And this voice made the decision for me. It was like. You're not going to school because you're going to rack up $50,000 worth of debt. It's not worth it. Just stop. It's always going to be there. Don't worry. Continue on working. Continue with the friend group that you have and go to India and do the 300-hour teacher training. And it was just like, poof, the voice was gone. The meditation was over. And I just worked my ass off for those six months and made it all happen. And I found myself in Rishikesh, India for the 300 hour and was the next point of my initiation in furthering, justifying, okay, I'm a yogi, you know, like this is who I am. This is the title that I have. Um, at that point, I already had Shiva tattooed on my arm and there was no turning back, especially when I got Shiva, like full Shiva sleeve tattoo now that was it it's like this is on me for the rest of my life and this is forever for this life and probably even more like there's an energetic implication of doing these kind of things so it's now a full-on life commitment and that can be scary and what i really want to impress on people is the importance of lifelong commitments okay for whatever reason, we're afraid of them. We're afraid of thinking to ourselves, this is going to be for the rest of my life. If it's a, if it's a relationship, if you get married, if you have kids, um, you know, if you have a job, if you have, you know, like if you are a practitioner of some sort, if you're a musician, there are th things that are really important to dedicate to yourself your entire life. And to know that you have your whole life ahead of you to really succeed in it, right? We live in this super accelerated world now with social media and the internet where we think that any video that we put up is going to go viral and it's going to make us and then we're going to be super famous from it, right? But we're not really looking into what it means to fully dedicate ourselves to something that we're passionate about when we're really hyper-focused on just creating some content based around what we're 
passionate about and hoping that that content is what grips people rather than what we're passionate about. It shouldn't matter. Like it shouldn't matter at all what people think or like why you want the attention so bad. Just focus on your passion for yourself. Just focus on why it is that you're doing it and just totally eliminate whether or not that your content is going to reach tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people you know like my content doesn't I can openly tell you that I get like 10 listeners a day on my podcast but it's the start you know like I don't it doesn't matter to me what matters to me is that the things that I have focused in my life are the priorities so I look at my day or my week in a chunk right so my 7 to 3 30 is my day job right and this is what's going to get into karma like I talked about earlier right so I have my 7 to 3.30 where I show up to work and I get home. So from 3.30 to by the time I go to bed is the time that I have to spend on everything else. If I'm playing guitar and I'm working on new music, if I'm working on my new book, if I'm recording a podcast. Lately, I've been kind of slacking on my podcast. This is the you know most recent one from a week and a half. But What really matters is that you just stick to it however you can, just like how I'm doing it. I'm sticking to this stuff however I can. So if it takes me a week and a half to upload a new video or a new podcast, I don't beat myself up before it. Like, sure, I have thoughts like, uh, I could be doing episodes every day. Like, there's really no excuse. But sometimes I get home from work, I have a shower, I feed my dog, I go on a walk with my dog, I have dinner. And it's already eight o'clock, you know, or it's already seven o'clock. And we're up here in the northern hemisphere in the freaking tundra. And uh, that's just a joke. We're not actually in the tundra. Um, and it gets really dark by four thirty, five o'clock. It's dark. And so when seven o'clock, eight o'clock rolls around, I'm like, you know what? Like, I, I could just sit down and and do a podcast episode, but I just want to chill, you know, and then. I also work out with my trainer on Tuesdays. I go to yoga on Wednesdays. I work out with my trainer on Fridays. And so managing how you um, work with your passions is just totally up to you. And as long as you do your best to find the motivation to continue doing it, when you know this is for the rest of my life. Man, when you do it, doesn't even matter. Just do it. Just do it when you can do it. Like, yoga is for the rest of my life. Do I need to stress on doing yoga every single day for two hours a day? No, because there may be a time in my life, maybe when I'm 40, maybe when I'm 50, when I've nailed in and I've really fine-tuned how my life is that suddenly things open up and I go, oh, I'm not working that 7 to 3.30 job anymore. So I don't I, – I, I can wake up at 6 or 7 o'clock and do a two-hour practice because I don't have that obligation anymore because I don't, I don't know, right? Right now, what is my karma or my dharma is that I've surrendered into the role that I'm playing working at this company. And so that's what my life is right now. And it's providing me a lot of abundance. The amount of pay that I get is great. And I and I, I didn't have that in the past. And so I'm grateful for that. And I'm going to work really hard in this company so that I not only remain abundant, 
but then I can actually level up within it and I can get to the point where my time there is, is, uh, is up, right? That like I fulfilled my role and I'm going to be able to shift out of it harmoniously. And then I can focus on the other things. So I can focus on my music and my books and my podcast and my meditation and my yoga um, as I grow into that role. And, and that's really how I see it is this like these parallel lines of what my karma and what my dharma is in the workplace that I'm in and what my karma and dharma is with yoga and meditation and music and authorship and, um, and podcasting that that second parallel line is going to overtake and overlap the first one. And it's going to do it harmoniously. Because if I were to do it now, say if I were to just go to that company and be like, okay, I quit and I leave. Oh, my God. My life would would fall apart because the rent on my house that I live in is fairly high. So I need to maintain that and all my bills and my car payment and, and all these things. And when I look at the amount of money that my yoga, my meditation, my book and my music bring in, not even enough. It's like. I'm not even at the point. And that's what is humbling to me and what um, I'm, I'm seeing as a reality of, of what I'm doing is that I can have this job that sustains everything and I can build up at all the side things on my time. And I don't have to listen to anyone else. I don't have to go on TikTok or Instagram or wherever the fuck else and hear these people go, you can quit your job today and here's how. And you can make money. You can make $8,000 a week doing this. Just follow me and I'll show you how. Like, cool. If you want to do that, go do it. I don't want to do that because for the most part, a lot of it is bullshit and a lot of it is a trap. And yes, it does work for some people, but right now that doesn't work for me because I've tried and I just don't get it. And so what I do get is what's happening right now in my life. I do get the work that I'm doing. I do understand that I'm really good at it. I do get this podcasting thing that I'm doing. I'm going to do that. I do get the yoga teaching that I'm doing. I'm going to do that. I do get the music and I do get the publishing and authorship. And that's where I'm going to refine. And the amount of time it takes me to figure that out, it can take me the next 10 years. And I'm totally fine with that because I don't need to be pressured by how fast things need to go based on what people are saying on the internet. And I really hope whoever's listening to this can hear that. Okay. It doesn't matter what people are saying on the internet because your work ethic and building your work ethic and building your strength of will to endure is so much more important than trying to make money really fast. Okay. And, and there's a, there's an implication to that morally, and there's an implication to that internally as creating a mental strength, right? Because what happens, what happens? If you have a TikTok account, right? So you follow all this stuff. You follow what they all say. You make a TikTok account. You make an Instagram account. 
um, make a YouTube and you don't have any other skills. You didn't learn how to do anything else. Okay. Your only skill is making videos and putting them up and sure you fast track through it. You blow up, you get some viral videos, say you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And you're making money off of it and everything's great. You're like, wow, I've never made this money ever before in my life. Okay. Then one day you get cocky and you put up a video that's not in line with the content that you were making. And suddenly it completely changes your algorithm and you go from having hundreds of thousands of um, views on your videos to thousands and your income plummets. Okay. What are you going to do then? Right? What are you going to do when TikTok and Instagram continue changing their algorithms and you are one of these content creators that just get like totally screwed because the algorithms changed and you're no longer hitting the audience that you had. What are you going to do? Right? And that's why having real world, real world experience and application of business and entrepreneurship and work ethic is important, you know, and, and I'm aware on, on Reddit, there's this whole like anti-work movement, you know, of saying that these companies are just like bullshit companies and they're making you, or they're making you do all this work and, and all this shit. It's not fucking true. It's not fucking true. Okay. The thing is, is that people are coming, becoming complicit or complacent with not putting effort into their life. So I don't really like Sadhguru, but he said this actually actual brilliant thing that in today's age, our minds complain. Listen to the inside of your mind. How often do you just complain and bitch about things inside your mind? Okay. He said, the way you want to live your life is you want your body to complain. You want to go through a whole day. And at the end of the day, it's your body that's complaining, but your mind is completely serene. This has to do with what kind of work you're doing throughout your day. And so this is the benefit of doing some kind of laborious job, right? And what we really need more than anything is the discipline to stay in a job regardless of the pay. Okay. Just have it so that in your first eight hours of your day, you are making money to cover your basics. Okay. If that's rent, if that's food, if that's bills, then you have the rest of your day to then go into the other opportunities, right? If that's Amazon seller account, if that's um, social media, if it's whatever, you have a website and you're hustling things on your website. If you have a, you wrote an ebook and you're selling your ebook, right? What will make you more 
of an adept in being a human are those first eight hours of your day of doing something where you just fucking do it. So no matter how shitty it seems to be that you use that opportunity to work through it and you're training your mind. You're training to mi- your mind to endure the bullshit, right? Because there's even in my job, there's bullshit that happens. I could complain all day. I can complain about how stupid it is that I'm doing the things that I'm doing in a metal shop, right? But I don't because I know that going through that is a very necessary step in the development of my spirituality. And this is the fulfillment of my karma. And as long as I can pour my presence of love and acceptance and um, compassion into that place, that it's actually leading me towards being able to leave in a harmonious way and into a more fulfilled aspect of myself through the leveling up of that discipline. And I, and I hope that's as clear as it can be, right? Because you are the only one that's going to understand truly what your karma and your dharma is. I can't tell you. You can message me and be like, I, this is what's going on in my life. What's my karma? I can be like, I have no idea. I only know what my karma is. And I look back at my life and it's evident what my karma is. You know, and I look at my life now and it's evident what my karma is. It's evident what my dharma is. And that's, it's not my responsibility to tell you what yours is. That is how cults are created. And I'm not creating a cult. You know, I have no interest in having a set of followers who rely on me to what to tell them what to do. You know, I, I'm here expressing myself and this podcast is an outlet to share information, but it's not to tell people how to live their lives. I'm telling you how I live my life. And hopefully that's a motivation towards how you can figure out what it is that you can do to be more harmonious in your life. And what I found, just for me personally, because out of all the yogas, right, bhakti yoga, kundalini yoga, hatha yoga, um, raja yoga, there's karma yoga, okay, the action of unity. And that's what I find myself as more than anything else. I'm a karma yogi. It's very easy for me to do things selflessly, You know, um, say, for example, you're at a gas station and you're pumping gas and you need to go into the gas station to buy something. Right. So you pumped gas, you paid um, at the gas pump and you see a guy sitting outside and he's homeless. What do you do? For me. I immediately go in and buy him food. Immediately. Even if they want it or not. Most of the time I ask him. So there's one time I saw a guy. I said, hey man, are you hungry? He's like, yeah, I am. I went inside and bought him two days worth of food. That is karma yoga. 
that is acting impulsively and selflessly for the goodness of others. And this is what is going to be the remedy to working a job that may be minimum wage, but you're able to endure it because it's part of your karma yoga. It's a part of a selfless act of your duty to be in the place where you are because your presence is needed there. And so you are given an opportunity to act in a way where you can provide a presence towards the other people that they wouldn't get if you weren't there. So that's what's really important. You work at McDonald's, at an Arby's, at a bookstore, at a shoe store, at Amazon warehouse. It doesn't fucking matter. You are there and you provide your presence and you uplift the people around you. Even if you have a superior that's an asshole and is telling you to do things, just smile and nod and say yes. You know? And of course, there's going to be boundaries, right? So you, if you go on Reddit and you look up anti-work, there's all these people that said, oh, I got a text from my boss when it was my day off and he was asking me to go to work. You got to really think about it, right? Okay, if it's, your day, if it's your day off and you've organized things and you have a commitment to do something, then yes, you can tell your boss, you know, I can't come to work because I'm already set to do this thing and I can't let these people down. I know it means letting you down, but you're going to have to ask someone else. But if you're just at home doing nothing and your boss asks you, hey, man, can you help us out? Like, we're, we need help. Okay, think of it as this. You're going to make more money. You know, you worked five days in that week and you made this amount of money. You're going to get a whole other day of money. So just go do it. Just go do it. If you don't have any obligations, if you're just sitting on your ass and you're eating Cheetos and you're watching fucking Harry Potter for the 10th time, just fucking do it. Get up and be like, okay, I'll go to work. This is what I'm talking about. Selfless acts for the betterment of other people. This is how we actually provide healing for this planet. This is how we actually solve the division. There's so much division because we don't want to selflessly act towards others. We want to selfishly act towards ourselves and to cast doubt and shame towards others rather than just looking at them and be like, hey, you're just a human being like me. So here you go. Here's some help. Here you go. Here's some time of mine that you can have. And it doesn't matter if that boss of yours who's an asshole isn't going to give you an immediate raise. Because these things pave the way for something greater in your life later on. And yoga has really helped me understand that. Yoga has really opened my mind to understand the intricacies and the synchronicities and the interconnections of all of our actions. And so that I can zoom out and zoom big into how my actions are going to affect later on down in my life. And I already see that even in my life now, right? Just like the, the friends that I have and some of the people that are in my life who I'm really paying attention to and who I'm really, really investing energy into, right? That's the thing about social media and, and the mainstream media and the material world is that it's just, it wants you to hyper-focus on yourself on the, sh the fucking shit that you want to buy the clothes and the shoes and the new phone and 
and yes, upgrades are necessary, right? Release the obsession. Obsess about helping others. That's what we need to obsess about. We don't need to obsess about material things anymore. Like, I have the Samsung 9. I it's, it's it's turning to shit. I can already I can already tell. I've had it for two years. I need a new phone, but I don't obsess about a new phone every year. I don't go. Oh, I, I need the new this. I need the new that. I just look at the function of the machine and I go, okay, it's running out of space. It's kind of lagging. Yeah, I definitely need a, a new phone soon, but there is an an obsession about it. Right. Where my obsession lies is, am I being compassionate? Am I being empathetic? Am I loving? I'm obsessed about my work ethic. I'm obsessed about making sure that my family is well taken care of, that my parents are well taken care of. I'm obsessed about being good to people the best that I can. That's what makes me a yogi. So I hope this hour-long rant of mine is uh, was is useful to you. Um, you know, I, I have been kind of off the radar um, lately, and I, I'm really looking forward to to being more present. Uh, I'm going to take a little bit more of a hiatus throughout this month. Um, uh, just to focus in on uh, the rest of my work and getting through um, more of my training and, and getting back into my yoga practice. Um, and I, I'll release, I think, more solo episodes. I'm, I'm kind of um, not focusing on having guests until the new year. So I have a few people that, uh, I have lined up, but, uh, I kind of told them that, uh, just stuff that I'm going through personally, it, it'll be better to just allow myself to really clear out the air of, of whatever drama is in my life. Um, and, and so what you can look forward to next um, our solo episodes about the koshas, um, the energetic layers, and the pranavayus, which are the um, energetic winds. Um, yeah, I, I kind of gave up. I did give give up on YouTube. I don't I don't care about YouTube at all. Um, so I'm going to be doing these primarily as audio uh, with links to images, and and I just found doing the whole video editing uh, was taking up a lot of time and I'd rather just have the audio and put the audio out, do the minor editing of, you know, putting, um, uh, putting the intro in and putting the outro. Um, and the final point is in the last three episodes, I ended the episode with a song from my new album and so if i'm not mistaken the next song is actually the final song of my album 
which you'll hear at the end here. So um, I'm just trying to think. Um, yes. The, uh, the song that you're going to hear today is Attic Treasure. So you can go to Spotify um, and, and hear the album. It's, uh, it's called Opening. I recorded it with my good friend and my violin teacher, Marin. So all the violin that you hear is from her. And it was produced and also co-written by my producer, John Atonic. So I did all the guitar. Marin did all the violin. John did the uh, percussion and bass and orchestral accompaniment. It was an amazing, amazing experience. This definitely out of the three albums that I've created so far with John, two with Marin. This one is my favorite, and um, I'm working on a fourth album, and that one's going to be... Um, just me and John, I'm making all the music for it. I'm doing all the guitar, doing all the um, bass, doing the drums, doing the vocals, solos. It's going to be a huge project. And um, that one I really want to I really want to get out there. I really want people listening. So if you can, please go to Spotify, check out my album, um, and share it You know, as, as much as you can if you're willing to. That, that's the best thing um, that I hope you can do as a listener in supporting me is listening to my music and also going to my website and purchasing my book. There's three versions. There's an ebook version, which is cheapest for $5 and the most accessible. It, it's just a download link. You get it right away. Um, there's a paperback copy and there's a hardcover copy. Um, when you do purchase the paperback or the hardcover, I write a personalized note in the book for you. So there's a little bonus that you get a little personalized thing from me. And that's it. So yes, to support me again, go to the website, zoranunda.com where you'll find the book and, uh, meditations and music. If you don't want to buy the music, Go to Spotify, search up Zorananda, and it's all there. So thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day.